Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 246. We'll continue in the book of 2 Chronicles with a brief summary of chapters 28 through 31 and follow with some thoughts about public festivals and disasters. As we wrapped with the, by and large, righteous-ish king in the last episode, we would be remiss if we started this episode without a wicked king. So here comes chapter 28 with King Ahaz, who, quote, did not do what was right in the eyes of Adonai, like David his father, and he went in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he even made molten images for the Baalim. And he it was who burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and burned his sons in fire, like the abominations of the nations whom Adonai had dispossessed before Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every lush tree. Comeuppance comes in the forms of the Aramean and Israelite kings who come, see, and conquer and take lots of prisoners. May I offer any of you inmates a plate of mush? But luckily, Oded, a prophet, appears on the scene to warn the northerners about what might happen if they actually take the Judahites hostage and enslave them. So they relent and, quote, the men who had been singled out by name arose and took the captives in hand and clothed their nakedness from the booty, clothed them and gave them sandals and fed them and gave them drink and rubbed them with oil and led on donkeys all who had stumbled and brought them to Jericho, city of the palms, to their brothers and came back to Samaria. Though this bit of glad tidings took the edge off the resounding defeat, Judah remained defeated. The northern border was wide open, and at any minute, the invaders could return. So King Ahaz does what any good Judahite king would do. Repent! 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 Save your souls! Actually, no. He seeks the aid of the big empire to the north of the northern kingdom, Assyria, but it comes at a high price. Quote, For Ahaz had plundered the house of Adonai and the house of the king, and the commanders and had given it to the king of Assyria, but with no aid for him. Which only pushes King Ahaz into more self and nation defeating behavior, worshiping idols, which results in an even worse outcome and the chronicler playing him off the stage in the usual manner. His heir Hezekiah has potential for more though. Chapter 29 tells us, that the new king has planned a thorough renovation and renewal of the house of God, which includes both a physical upgrade as well as a spiritual one. Quote, hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate to the house of Adonai, God of your fathers, and take out what is impure from the sacred space. For our fathers betrayed and did what was evil in the eyes of Adonai and forsook him and turned their faces away from Adonai's sanctuary and turned their backs. They also closed the doors of the great hall and extinguished the lamps and did not burn incense and did not offer up burnt offerings to the God of Israel. And the fury of Adonai was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he turned them into a horror and a desolation and a hissing, as you see with your own eyes. And look, our fathers fell by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives fell captive because of this. Now it is my intention to seal a covenant with Adonai, God of Israel, that his smoldering wrath turn back from us. My sons, do not fall away, for you Adonai has chosen to stand before him to minister to him, to be for him ministers and offerers of incense. Fifteen days later, the job is done, and the temple is rebooted with near offerings and offense offerings on behalf of the king and the people. 
seeking God's forgiveness. This was met with much rejoicing. But Chizkiyahu isn't done. He wants everyone to mark and celebrate the Passover festival in the newly rebooted House of God in Jerusalem. So, quote, The couriers went with missives from the hand of the king and his officials through all Israel and Judah, and by the king's command, saying, Israelites, turn back to Adonai, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he turn back to the survivors remaining of you from the grip of the kings of Assyria, and be not like your fathers and like your brothers who betrayed Adonai, God of your fathers, and he made them a desolation, as you can see. Now, do not be stiff-necked like your fathers. Pledge yourselves to Adonai, your God, and come into his sanctuary that he sanctified for all time, and serve Adonai, your God, that his smoldering wrath turn back from you. For when you turn back to Adonai, your brothers and your sons will be given mercy before their captors, and will return to this land. For gracious and merciful is Adonai, your God, and he will not take his presence from you if you turn back to him. Well, this didn't go over very well in some parts of the north. Quote, and the couriers were passing from town to town in the land of Ephraim and Menashe and as far as Zavulun, but they were laughing at them and mocking them. You ungrateful little brat! But they, it seems, are in the minority because, quote, a great crowd gathered in Jerusalem to do the festival of flatbread in the second month, a very great assembly. And the Passover observance goes off without incident, quote, and there was great rejoicing in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had not been its like in Jerusalem. Well, the good times keep rolling. Chapter 31 recounts how, quote, all Israel who were present went out to the towns of Judah and smashed the cultic pillars and hacked down the cultic poles and shattered the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh to the last one. And all the Israelites went back, each to his holding to their towns. The temple continues to function as it should, all thanks to Chizkiyahu. The chronicler concludes the chapter with this assessment of the king, quote, And Chizkiyahu did in this manner throughout Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before Adonai his God, and in every act that he undertook in the service of the house of God, and in the teaching and in the commands to seek his God with all his heart, he did and prospered. It's been a while since we've called back to our Chronicler segment. You can go your own way. Where the Chronicler breaks with the source material in a substantive fashion, this episode brings us a glaring example. King Chizkiah, whose original star turn in 2 Kings is abbreviated to say the least. The first 14 years of his reign command a whopping eight verses in the source material, but here we get three whole chapters focusing on the same period. The first 90 verses deal with the first 16 days of Chizkiahu's reign, in which the house of God is purified and purged of all the idolatrous stuff his father introduced. The second chapter recounts the Passover in the temple in Jerusalem with a large gathering. The festival was marked not at its regularly scheduled time that year because during Nisan, the correct month for Passover, the purification of the temple had yet to be completed. We get the sense that Chizkiyahu was being magnanimous, a uniter of the divided, by bringing the people together to eat matzah, macaroons, and share the digestive distress to follow together. But there's a dark undercurrent to his generous invitation. 
brief allusions to a tragedy in the North. The invite begins with the usual call to repentance, which is how all of my evites for birthday parties and family celebrations begin. And then it says, quote, Israelites, turn back to Adonai, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he turn back to the survivors remaining of you from the grips of the king of Assyria. Hmm? Survivors? Because the chronicler fails to mention that Hezekiah came to the throne in 715 BCE, six years after the northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed by the Assyrians. If we're to take the content of the invite as historical fact, it gives us a glimpse into the situation on the ground in the north. Many of the subjects of the northern kingdom were deported by the Assyrians, but it seems significant numbers of them remained. Why would the chronicler fail to mention such a kingdom-shattering event, an event that would inspire the legend of the Ten Lost Tribes that captured the imagination of Jews for centuries to come? Even the author of Second Kings mentions the deportation. Could it be that it would somehow detract from the message that the Tanakh so loves to drive home, how the people are united in following the path of God, that sacred rituals are worthy of observance, and that it's best to embrace God's will? Maybe, except the third chapter dedicated to this good 14-year stretch focuses exclusively on the financing of the near offerings in the rededicated temple and salaries for the Kohanim and Levites who serve in the sanctuary and their families. This sounds like a rousing endorsement of the temple, temple worship, and near offering very much on message, isn't it? Except that the way the funding piles up, it's a little curious. First, we have the obvious, quote, the king's portion for the morning and evening burnt offerings and the burnt offerings for Sabbaths and new moons and festivals was as written in the teachings of Adonai. But then the chronicler tells us, quote, and as the word spread, the Israelites gave abundantly the best of the grain, wine, oil, and honey, and all produce of the field, and the tithe of all in abundance they brought. And the people of Israel and Judah dwelling in the towns of Judah on their part also brought tithes of cattle and sheep and tithes of sacred gifts consecrated to Adonai their God, and they put them in piles. In the third month, the piles began to heap up, and in the seventh month, they were completed." So the goods are stacked high, and the king now has to make sure that they are properly managed and reach those it's supposed to reach, be it in the temple, the Kohanim, the Levites, and or their families. To do this, Chizkiyahu has to set up a bureaucracy with officials to deal with the accumulation of the property and its distribution. We want to keep the books clean, but as you can guess, when there's this much money and goods moving in and out, corruption can't be far behind, as Nehemiah discovers later when he leads the construction of the second temple. But we're not there yet. We have a lot of ground to cover and not that many chapters left in the Tanakh. Right now, we're in that golden hour, filtered moment, still feeling those good vibes from Passover where the people came together to mark the day albeit delayed by a month because the temple wasn't ready yet, but also perhaps because Passover is a spring festival and spring springs later for the northerners, or perhaps because, quote, the thing that is Passover had come about suddenly. Either way, let's let these folks enjoy their moment, because even though we've hinted at the Assyrian-made disaster in the north, in the south, winter is coming. <laughs> If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. 
help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to Nachcast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning find this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 247, where we conclude the second book of Chronicles with chapters 32 through 36 and wrap TanakhCast's nine and a half year run by completing the whole Tanakh.